Good morning, listeners, and uh, this is Jeff speaking, and good morning to my co-presenter, Marian. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, listeners, and welcome to news from the drug war front. Bob. And the sun's like, out. The sun is out, the sky is blue, it's beautiful, and so are you, as the words of the song say. They do indeed. So welcome, everybody, to this beautiful spring summer day, but it's going to be 32, so look out, gang. Look I think, after your skin. Yeah, we've had a few days of, you know... Pouring cool. down, yeah. yeah well, total co- pouring down. It's the weeds in my garden are growing like the clappers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately they also benefit. Okay, um, the program that you're about to uh, tune into or hopefully listen to is called News from the Drug War Front and today's edition is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. As and it all- is every week. As is every week, yeah. <laughs> good, po- good point, Mary. Yeah. yeah, it's not like it's suddenly uh, calmer this week. And yeah, and another one's next, next week. week. And also uh, the uh, peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients, The Connection. Uh, news from the Drug War Front promotes the broader array of services that are provided by Karma and... Um, let me tell you, they have increased enormously. Exponentially, yeah. really, Jeffrey. Every week they seem to ex- expand it even further, yes? Well, when you think about it, like, you know, we had naloxone, which was the big one for a while, and yep. now we've got barbecues, uh, outreach. Che- um, drug checking, uh, health testing, of all sorts of health testing. It yep. doesn't seem to matter. What What is required is provided, and it's... The thing about, I guess, uh, drug and alcohol treatment as such is that really, you know, prior to uh, the existence of peer peer uh, organisations, it was a blank canvas. Absolutely. Yeah, there was plenty to be done and therefore karma and its ilk, you know, nationally, mm. other peer education yes. organisations had everywhere to go and plenty to do and... Plenty of options to take up because the representation from users was not there. Well, I think a lot of people don't realise that a country as big as the UK, which is, what, 65, 70 million, it's a, it's a big country. It's a large population. They don't have funded uh, peer drug user organisations. Crazy. That- and yet they had a massive um, HIV epidemic, which was really the stimulus for peer education in Australia. Well, I remember train spotting and hitting yes. Scotland really hard. And yeah, well, and, you know, the deaths and the problems with HIV transmissions always been huge, but now hep C comes along and that provides even further in, uh, impetus, if you like, for peer education so that essentially whether you care about drug users or not, the community and its potential for hep C transmission between one person and another is monumental and the, the death rate and the, the illness rate from hepatitis C is just, you know, it's monumental. Well, you it's know, what makes the new directing antiviral that's drugs right. such an absolute revelation and, and revolution. And, Karma deals with that as well. Yeah, so, pinprick you know, testing. Pinprick testing for bloods. We no longer have to take 20 mils of blood to check whether you have hepatitis so C or not. So much easier, isn't it? So much easier. And karma provides that too. So, you know, whatever karma does is obviously going to be novel and there's plenty more to be done. 
not like we're ever going to run out of um, jobs to do uh, no. or or ideas to pick up and run with. Uh, it's it, yeah, plenty to do and people there willing to do it. And Karma and the Connection are a great example of just that. And I think it's important just to restate that it is not just something that everybody everywhere enjoys. It's no, from it, almost exclusively Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Australia As a base has of, yeah. national nationally has peer education groups in every state and territory. Well, some are lagged a bit, like Tassie, but anyway, I know it's, yeah, yeah, by and large. But effectively, but it's acknowledged that it's an important part of drug and alcohol, in in inverted commas, treatment. So it's not about treatment so much as about taking the word of and communicating with drug users or illicit drug users and taking what they say to meetings with other drug and alcohol workers, if you like, and telling them this is what users think, this is how they behave, this is what they need, and nobody has presented to government what drug users need before. before HIV. Before HIV, before peer education became a thing, yes? Yeah, and we had a health minister that was prepared to speak to affected communities. That's right, well done, Neil Blewett. Men who have sex with men, sex workers people who inject uh, drugs, and that was the reason why the response was um, acknowledged internationally as being such an outstanding success. And, you know, recipients of blood blood products, and probably it was really the people for whom the community could feel sympathy because for a long time it was just the apparently the lack of uh, willingness to give up drugs that was the problem. Mm. You know, if you weren't willing to give up drugs, then... That's on your own head, be it. But now, these days, with hep C, HIV, with um, blood-borne diseases um, and sexually transmitted infections, it became an issue for the whole community. And therefore, we had to get the opinions and the needs of drug users in order to make sure that everyone was educated about safe sex and safe drug use. Yeah, well, you have to educate people in a way that they're going to uh, relate to and respond to. And like doctors talking to other doctors, drug users relate better to other drug users and are willing to take information or education from other drug users than from a government that has traditionally told us fibs. Mm. And the communication from police on, you know... Um, how dangerous a particular drug use is just it, no longer believable, plausible, well, if it ever was. A lot of propaganda has just yeah. put people off from and believing. That's right. Yeah. been propaganda for years and still is. So peer education has become a massive and very important issue. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, you want me to do karma? Yeah, just a quick summary of Okie dokie. Sort of. Well, we have told you some of what karma does yeah. um, and the connection. But uh, it's the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. It's the uh, drug user organisation for alcohol, tobacco and other drug consumers um, for the ACT. Karma's not-for-profit incorporated or association. It's recognised as part of the ACT specialist drug treatment organisations and conducts peer-based drug treatment 
from our drop-in community centre. The programs that it conducts include peer treatment support programs, Connections First Nations program, the naloxone program, which is training in how to uh, reverse overdoses from opioids, Karma Community Development and Mentoring Program, the Fixed Peer Education Program, the radio show, That's Us, the Reach, Teach, Treat Hepatitis C Peer Education and Treatment Project in connection with the Hepatitis ACT, Karma Primary Healthcare Clinic, which is on Thursday from 10 till 2, uh, has a doctor and a nurse there if you want, don't have a GP of your own, or if you just want to go to um, a doctor or a nurse to see what is locked, to get a diagnosis irrespective of your drug use. And that's the really important thing. Doesn't matter whether you use drugs or not. The point is, if you're not feeling well, Go to the Karma Clinic on Thursdays and have them, have the doctor or the nurse look at you and be diagnosed as to what's wrong with you. Don't ignore it, just get it done. Uh, so the clinic's an in-reach partnership with Directions Health Services, provides an on-site doctor and nurse at the community centre, which is, um, here we go, 34, is it? Uh, what, the... Address. The address, darling. 54 Benjamin 54. Way. Always get that wrong. 54 Benjamin Way, Bill Connan, at the Church's Centre on Level 1. Um, the phone number is 62533643. That's the landline. Yep. Ring Karma. They can tell you further what they have available and what sort of programs they're undertaking um, and what they have for you. And if they don't know what's going on, they can refer you to someone who can help you. Exactly. So it's not that... Everybody isn't required to know everything, no. okay? And just because it's a peer education organisation doesn't mean they'll know everything about everything. They just can tell you what you need to know and where you need to go to suit what ails you. Top place to start. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, news from the drug war front uh, reports on news stories relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles that we feature in the program come from sources including mainstream media. So the contents of the broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. And Karma, of course, advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Now, um, I've been uh, given this CD uh, by a good friend, Jack, mm -hmm. uh, to commemorate the recent passing of Shane McGowan, who was uh, mostly known as the lead singer of the Pogues, but he also did some uh, good solo work. And the first track is The Sick Bed of... Well, how to promote this? Uh, pronounce this... Kakuli, Kakulan. I think that's uh, close enough. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, from the Rum Sodomy and the Lash album, Shane McGowan. 
and Richard Tauber are singing by the bed. There's a glass of punch below your feet and an angel at your head. There's devils on each side of you with bottles in their hand. You need one more drop of poison and you'll dream of foreign lands. When you pissed yourself in Frankfurt and got sipped out in Cologne And you heard the rattling stack trains as you lay there all along Frank Ryan bought your whiskey in a brothel in Madrid And you take some fucking blackshirt who was cursing all the yids And a sick bit of Coo Cullen will nail and say a prayer But it goes rattling at the door and the devil's in the chair Tavern, you screamed it was your shell But I wouldn't give you service So you kicked the windows out They took you out and turned it straight Kicked you in the brains So you went back then through a bolted door And did it all again And a sick bed of Kurt Cullen Well, now let's say a prayer And the ghosts are rattling at the door And the devil's in the chair The banshees howl There was lazy drunken bastards Singing Billy in the bowl They took you up to midnight mass And left you in the lurch So you dropped a button in the plate And spewed up in the church Now you sing a song of liberty For blacks and packs of jocks And I take you from this dump You're in and stick you in a box Then I take you to the prior I'll shove you in the ground We you stick your head back out And shout we'll have another round And the great sword of Kirk Cullen Will kneel around and cry And God is in his heaven And Freddy's down by the fire very folky wasn't it yeah look it was sort of an irish but yeah folk music sort of background i think originally um sounds very much like it um anyway look you will regular listeners will know but anybody with half a brain including women who obviously have both halves of somebody else's brain if some men aren't listening (laughs) is that we've been doing um We've been doing some uh, promotion of the uh, violence against women issues. At the moment, there's a, a 16 days um, against violence, um, saying no to violence against women. Um, and a couple of years ago, Karma did 16 days of very strong and very visible action against women, and that was uh, largely organised by Natasha. Yeah. And yeah. well organised too. It was a fabulous 16 days, and it was exhausting. I don't know how she got it it's done, a lot of but work, she yeah. did. Yeah. Anyway, the point is that uh, 
On Friday, there's a... Look, the, I have a fly here. It says, say no to violence against women. 58 women have been killed in domestic violence incidents across the country so far this year. Crisis services in Canberra are stretched to breaking point. Rally with us to call for urgent funding for crisis services and emergency accommodation. So at Glebe Park, Canberra, <coughs> Friday the 1st of December, that was... Okay. Hey, we're past that, have we? We've done that. That was oh. last week. Oh, that was we talked about it last well. week, but we maybe talk, didn't we put, did put out the it. details. We didn't know about the fly, but Senator David Pocock was the speaker, which is interesting. Oh, mm. I like him a lot. Anyway, we've got a, um, a fly also from uh, Warin, which is the Women's Harm uh, Reduction International Network. Um, and it says, Hello, fellow activists. Brace yourself for an inspiring tale of empowerment and action with Women's Harm Reduction International. We're in at the helm, leading the charge in the fight against violence and systematic systemic violence against women who use drugs. We're in is making waves, standing boldly against systemic violence here in Australia and globally, Collaborating with the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League, AVIL, they've unveiled 16 stark manifestations of systemic violence against women who use drugs on Instagram and social media platforms. AVIL has all, have also engaged in... Uh, having also engaged SSDP... I think that's the students' group. Yep. Uh, Quinn, which is Queensland uh, Harm Reduction Network... Harm Reduction Victoria, Inpud, or the International Network of People Who Use Drugs, and Dancewise Vic, amplifying the uh, Eva Wads 23 campaign. Warin isn't just raising awareness, they're catalyzing change as they take the lead in Eva Wads 23, eliminating violence against women who use drugs campaign of, campaign of 2023. Let's delve into the harsh realities. Women who use drugs are often forgotten, left behind even by their own community and feminist movements. Yes. In Australia, well, that's very true. Mm. For many years, women who use drugs are, have not been included in feminist movements unless they are abstinent or belong to an abstinent mm. movement. Um so, anyway, the, their parental statement is often weaponised by the media to fuel social exclusion and violence. These women face the loss of custody and rights to their children due to drug use, being labelled, stigmatised and even wrongly convicted for various offences. Domestic violence shelters become inaccessible, further exacerbating and promoting inequity. Rehabilitation services, unfortunately, often miss the mark. They tend to be gender-centric, lacking the necessary allowances for gender and diverse clients, making support and even more challenging uh, an even more challenging journey. Indeed. Uh, in sync with this mission, the Alcohol, Tobacco and Other Drugs Council of Tasmania, ATDC, because there hasn't been much action down there for a while, mm. is supporting the 16 Days of Activism this year by also promoting it on their social media platform. Warin's uh, dedication to eradicating violence has spread the seeds of activism across the world. Locally, the Alcohol and Drug Service in Launceston, again in Tasmania, has acknowledged the importance of the work. Sporting Orange is a powerful statement of solidarity. This visual 
symbolises a community united against violence targeting women who use drugs. Wherein's influence is tangible, making waves right at our doorstep. And spotlighting a local advocate, Lily from Wherein is a true trailblazer. Beyond promoting the campaign, she's taken it to the streets, adorning neighbourhoods with posters and engaging in one-on-one education with local service providers and her university. Lily embodies grassroots change, proving that individuals can be powerful catalysts for transformation. Well, it's got to start somewhere, mm-hmm. Marion, hasn't it? Absolutely. Listeners, let this narrative resonate. Wirin isn't just an organisation, it is a movement, a call to action. It's about unity, understanding and support for women facing unique challenges. As they lead the charge in Everwood 23, Wirin embodies the spirit of eliminating violence against women who use drugs. Um, all for that. So as you go about your day, carry these stories with you. Wirin's resolute commitment, the collaboration with Avil, Lawn Seston's vibrant statement in Orange and Lily's boots-on-the-ground activism, they are all beacons of hope in the journey towards positive change. Eliminate violence against women who use drugs now and let no woman be left behind. Indeed. Yeah. I, I think um, there's been on the news last night even um, four women in South Australia were murdered last week. And the thing about... Really? Uh, yes. Um it, within the last, and 58 women over the last year, like just this year, 58 women have been murdered by people, by men that they, they know. know. And if you remember the article that we read last, last week. Last week, yes. Yeah. The, um, that 41%, I think, of um, people who have experienced violence has been at the hands of a man and very often a man that they know. And that's not just women, that's just the fact that 41% of all people who experience violence have been experiencing at the hands of a man that they know. I really think it needs a proper national campaign of education that isn't isn't just one advertisement, you know, um, plonked in, like an actual campaign. Not just one off. And, And I think that really the example that is not set in Parliament, um, of the support of women. It's horrifying when you watch women stand up and speak in Parliament and they are ignored or people walk out on them. What they have to say is not taken notice of or respected. Our our Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, a woman was treated. Ditch the bitch. How dare they? Mm. Who else would say that? about a Prime Minister. Yeah. Why were we... That was never said against somebody who was an absolutely abysmal Male Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Yeah. Male Prime Minister. Mm. Um, nobody ever said, um, you know, get rid of the prick. It just wasn't there. It just wasn't said. Uh, but we didn't even... You know, Julia Gillard didn't even have support from her own party. Mm. In the parliament. It was a really ugly time. It was a very ugly time and I was horrified. And probably one of the highlights was her speech in parliament uh, saying, you know, I will not take... I won't, will not be treated, will not be taught... By this man. By this man about misogyny and sexism by that man. It was really powerful and I think it was watched around the world. Well, in fact, it's been recorded and it's been reproduced and promoted and on the basis of that speech alone, if nothing else, she's been invited to be a speaker um, or a presenter 
or on a panel uh, of women about women and violence against women. Oh, good. Well, yeah. She's... No, she's very potent and has a great reputation um, amongst women, if nobody else. But pretty shameful for the country at the I time. I think it's horrifying. Uh, look, I'll play another uh, Shane McGowan song in tribute to his recent passing. It's called The Old Main Drag. Shane McGowan. Welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. It's four minutes after 11, and, uh, of course, we support the messages uh, in that uh, promotion of TXX. Um, they're always happy to have financial subscribers or 
people have got a bit of spare time to do some volunteering, always welcome. Um, just a couple of announcements that we might have um, overlooked earlier. Um, the lunch, the Christmas lunch for the Women's Support Group is going to be held on 15th of December, starting at 11.30, and um, it will finish at 1.00. So uh, people involved in that group just turn up um, and enjoy the lunch and some presents, which sounds really uh, positive. And uh, we mentioned pinprick hep C testing. The barbecues are as normal up until the 22nd, which means uh, Oaks Estate uh, on the Wednesday and Ainsley Village on Thursday and Veterans Park on Friday, which is good. Um, now, the Karma Clinic this week, evidently uh, the doctor will be starting uh, an hour late at 11 instead of 10 o'clock, but the clinic will be going on till the usual uh, 2 p.m. So uh, it's still um, going to be open this Thursday, which is important to know. Um, came across an interesting piece um, from a Chinese news source that says illicit opium imports into Australia are on the rise. Authorities warn, dated December the 2nd, Imports of illicit opium into Australia are on the rise, authorities have warned. The Australian Federal Police on Saturday said its officers have seized 155 kilograms of opium en route to Australia via air, parcel and sea cargo since January 2023, more than double the amount of the illicit drug it seized in 2022 and approximately six times the amount intercepted in 2021. I'm surprised there's any <laughs> to be yes. seen anywhere. But anyway, in a joint statement, the Federal Police and the Border Force, Australian Border Force, said international crime syndicates have stepped up efforts to conceal opium within objects that are um, to evade detection, citing concerns that Australian criminal groups are using connections in India, Pakistan and also the UK to import the drug. Quote, we're reminding criminals that we're not only seizing the drugs but arresting alleged offenders who are connected to the imports. We will continue to work to target your illicit operations, identify you and bring you to justice, said AFP Commander Paula Hudson. Under Australian law, anyone who's convicted of importing a border-controlled substance faces maximum jail sentences ranging from 10 years to life, depending on quantities. Uh, Australian Border Force Commander Clinton Sims said illicit drugs have been seized at the border at record levels in 2023. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's always a bit of music at the back. Um, Organised crime groups who are seeking to import illicit drugs should know that we will protect the integrity of the Australian border, he said in a statement. We will. We will. We'll get them. What uh, do you feel like covering next, uh, Maz? Well, I thought we might have a look Did. We're going to look at Penny Mordaunt, yes. tackled by SNP. Yeah, this this international story, but uh, still interesting. Or you want to stay in Australia? We can no, stay no, in Australia. No, no, I think we can go back to Australia if there's something worthwhile. We've got a lot of short stories this year. But anyway, um, this is uh, from overseas. Penny Mordaunt heckled by Scottish National Party members of Parliament over a heroin jibrow by Richard Wheeler, MSN.com, December the 2nd. Penny Mordaunt was heckled by Scottish National Party MPs after she dismissed calls to apologise for her jibe uh, or heroin legacy jibe. The Commons leader said she'd been criticising the Scottish National Party for, 
quote, having let down a generation of children by its approach to education, when she said young Scots will have, quote, somewhere safe and warm to take heroin as a result of the party's appalling legacy. Ms Mordaunt said she would not apologise for holding the party to account after her previous comments were described as ignorant. Ms Mordaunt was responding to a Scottish National Party MP, Stuart MacDonald, who recalled how his brother died at home and alone, having taken an overdose of drugs following a life of seriously harmful addiction. So, can I invite the leader to my constituency to meet with the families who are thankful that this pilot is finally taking place and maybe she'll come back and make an apology in her statement at the dispatch box? Stuart MacDonald, SMP, MP, MP, invited Ms Mordaunt to visit Glasgow and to meet with families who have welcomed the UK's first ever drug consumption room. The facility planned in the city already approved by the NHS and council officials. The project took a step forward after Scotland's top law enforcer, uh, sorry, law officer, Lord Advocate Dorothy Bain KC, announced it would not be in the public interest to prosecute users of such a facility. The UK government said that it's not, not in favour of drug consumption rooms, but said it has no plans to interfere in I the Scottish initiative. Not. Uh, speaking at business questions, Mr MacDonald said, quote, last week the leader stood at that dispatch box and dismissed the pilot of Scotland's drug consumption facilities. She dismissed them as somewhere safe and warm for heroin users, people like my brother, to take their heroin. Quote, but it's a health care facility designed to help people with addiction problems and turn their lives around. She did it in the most ignorant and contemptuous way possible. So can I invite the leader to my constituency to meet the families who are thankful that the pilot finally taking is finally taking place? And maybe she'll come back and make an apology in her statement at the dispatch box. And given her love of clicks, if she puts it on Twitter, I'll even share it. What a great way to raise an issue. Indeed. We want somebody to think twice about what yeah, they Yeah, invite them home. And certainly Glasgow has had a reputation for being quite, having a very high level of injecting drug use. Their uh, HIV rate was monumental. They, in fact, were one of the examples of HIV transmission amongst injecting drug users and in the early days. Of the overdose really, rate even now is amongst the highest. Edinburgh was really... Very min was minimal. Glasgow's was, was shocking. shocking. Yeah. So it's a really appropriate place to have a safe consumption room. I was actually saying, uh, Miss Muldaunt replied, Mr. McDonald, quote, Mr. McDonald, can go and look at last week's Hansard because that is not what I said. Quote, I was actually saying that it would be a legacy of the Scottish Nationalist Party, the SNP. What I was criticising the National Party for. Uh, is for having let down a generation of children by destroying an education system, reducing the number of teachers that are there by starving schools of resources, for widening the attainment gap and many other things. I am sorry, genuinely sorry, for Mr McDonald's loss, and I know a great deal about the particular pilot and the gov this government is supportive of the Scottish government doing this pilot. But I just say to Mr Macdonald, his obligations to the children of Scotland are important 
and they are failing them and I will not apologise for him holding and his party to account. Earlier in the session, Ms Mordaunt claimed the SNP, the Scottish National Party, would soon have fewer supporters than there are pandas in Edinburgh Zoo. I'm <laughs> assuming there are none there now. <laughs> Most likely. The UK's only giant pandas are set to return to China after 12 years in Scotland, SNP MP Deirdre uh, Brock said. Her comments last week about Scotland's drug policies were literally front-page news. The Daily Record describing them as an odd rant was one of the more positive responses. One correspondent asked, why does Penny hate Scotland so much? Was she scared by the bagpipes as a child? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. We certainly look forward to the leader's reply to that. Her answer illustrated very comprehensively, I'm afraid, the attitudes and contempt on that side of the house for the people of Scotland. The Edinburgh North and Leith MP called for a debate on child poverty in England, which is just shocking. It really, England's yes. really standard of living has just, since Brexit, has declined. Really gone down, yeah. Yeah, there's people who have to choose few, warm in their house over eating. You Indeed, know, it's, yeah. It's pretty grim stuff. Um, called for a debate on child poverty in England and asked if the Commons leader wanted a copy of research which suggested Holyrood's child payment scheme would alleviate the problem north of the border. Ms Mordaunt replied, given that the autumn statement has given the Scottish Government an additional £545 million and we are to hear, it, hear their budget, about to hear their budget, I think it is pretty safe bet that it will not be spent wisely. Well... By all means, she can send me what she likes, but I have to say there's a trend here and I think the Scottish SNP supporters will soon be outnumbered by the pandas in the zoo. So she's clearly not very happy with the Scottish National Party Obviously. and um, scathing about uh, their policies. Well, about their policies and um, the comment was largely saying, it sounds like she was saying that they they are funding this the uh, safe injecting room as a uh, safe consumption room as opposed to funding educational plans yeah, yeah. or poverty relieving um, programs anyway it sounds uh, it sounds like they're putting them both in the same bucket yeah Scotland really needs to do something not a great idea and quickly uh, can you lay your hands on pill testing in Victoria? I've could got be it legal? right in front of me here. Yeah, let's hope this is... Um, pill testing in Victoria could be legal by this time next year if the government bill is passed. And this is by George Shears, Pedestrian TV. The pill testing pilot for harm reduction bill would establish a mobile pill testing service for major music festivals as well as a fixed-size service for more detailed analysis year-round. The bill was introduced by the Victorian Greens, uh, the Animal Justice Party and Legalise Cannabis Victoria. If passed, pill testing would establish, be established in Victoria by this time next year, in time for the summer festivals. Experts have been calling out for reforms after a number of deaths in recent years following people unknowingly consuming high doses or other substances. Drug alerts in the state have been issued after pills containing two or three times the usual doses, dose of MDMA were found, as well as pills containing other potentially harmful substances. Which is one of the great things about a drug testing facility, you find Indeed. out. Indeed. Un, but unlike 
us, they seem to be limiting, unlike Canberra, they seem to be limiting it to pill testing as opposed mm. to drug checking. Drug checking, yeah. That may be a problem. Uh, speaking to Pedestrian TV, can test peer educator Mitch Lamb, who's uh, one of our colleagues yep. at Karma, said it was quite about time drug testing was introduced. Saying Melbourne in particular was a big city with a lot of drug taking. Quote, I think from here it's going to become a lot more streamlined with other states introducing this, he said. Originally, when we pushed drug testing, it was an uphill battle. We had overseas information from places like Amsterdam, but politicians said, well, that's overseas and isn't really relevant here. But now we have data from Canberra. And look how positively it's been taken, not only amongst users, but also by residents in the ACT who really uh, like this service. The majority of people here support pill testing. He said pill testing was not just about seeing if some of these drugs were safe, but also about providing education around drug consumption. Quote, I don't see a strong argument for why we don't test. It's beyond time for this to happen. With that prohibition comes a stigma of information. Ten years ago, the government would never put itself into a position of how to take drugs safely. Now I have conversations with people from 18 up to the age of 70 and talk about what they've got and how to take it safely. And that is a huge change, that's isn't it? That's a huge you know, change. That, and that's Mitch talking about the drug checking facility yeah. in Canberra. Yeah. He does the introduction I think to that's the, the drug pe- checking facility. One of the peer educators. Yeah, so. that's what Mitch does, yeah. Yeah, passes on Yeah, and he introduces people to the drug checking facility and talks to them about their options and what's there and what they have and what is to be checked. And regular listeners will know yeah. what an active support we are. And some, in fact, have complained about how little we've talked about or anything else, else but, but drug Yeah. <laughs> the two pill testing sites would be licensed for two years and could be extended for a further four years following a review. Well, let's hope the, uh, the bill is passed, quick smart, and um, some action is taken down in Melbourne. Yeah, there's a, I've got a note on the back of mine. Jeffrey, which must have been probably your copy, which says that there's been uh, MDMA and cocaine with very high purity around in Canberra. That's what the evidence um, says. And there's a serotonin syndrome, MDMA overdose, um, can lead to... Uh, yeah, I was unaware of serotonin overdose. Yes, which can lead to neurotoxicity. A sudden shock to the, hmm, your, your writing is interesting. Yeah, I was honey. trying to get as much detail as, yeah. as Mitch was talking so as I could. So 30 to 40% pure for a cap, um, near close to 100% for... Cocaine. Can get you into trouble. Um Oh, no, darling. I think the essence of what he was saying was... Um, the, the consistent evidence coming back from yeah. can test is MDMA and cocaine results and very of purity. high level of purity, is, yeah. yeah. very and that's high. that's a real problem. And, um, yeah, way more than most people would expect. And um, But I hadn't heard of that uh, serotonin uh, no. syndrome. And serotonin is um, one of the... Uh, uh, well, important. Um, One of the, um, 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 what's the word I'm looking at? Here we go. Marion's bloody brain not working again. Um, the antidepressants are, work on 
serotonin uptake. serotonin uptake uptake inhibitors, (laughs) yeah. So serotonin has to do with, so it's um, an issue that's involved in depression. Important part of your brain. Yeah, Yeah. and and that if you take drugs, uh, the antidepressants that you take are there to (sighs) inhibit the uptake of serotonin. You need to know about contraindications and how things mix. Indeed, and, that, and that's really important. And, in fact, we've got a story about uh, from the United States um, about the interference. Uh, it's probably not quite what we would expect in Australia, but uh, about interfering, methadone interfering with the... Uh, cancer drugs. Yeah. Cancer drugs. And, in fact, it's... Not so much about the contraindications, but it's more about the fact that if somebody is on a methadone program and gets cancer and they are on a methadone maintenance program, they are not to have any other drugs, in any other opioids in their system. But if they get cancer, then the drugs that they are prescribed for their pain relief are things like endone and oxycodone, which, excuse me, are opioids, and if they're detected in the urine, in a urine screen, which they do randomly for people with takeaway methadone, they, they do it in Australia too, but if that's counted as a contraindication for having takeaway methadone doses or if it cancels out your methadone doses, then you have those methadone takeaways removed. You're not allowed mm. to have them anymore. In fact, you've got to turn up every day and pick up your doses Let's every day. Start again. And when you are, uh, when you've got cancer, that's the last thing you, you want, want to do. You want to have to do, yeah. yeah. Get up every day and yeah. So from. yeah, it's a it's a problem when we're talking about that kind of stuff where those arguments are separate to this argument that we're talking about. But it's really important to talk about it because. Many people with long-term Hep C will end up with um, chronic liver disease or liver cancer. Oh, how much? And many the pain that's involved in liver cancer, but the pain involved in liver cancer, it needs to be managed with opioids or opioid-like uh, drugs, and it's an issue that needs to be looked at. We should be able to get uh, time to get to that story. Listen, I'm going to pick a song from this. Um Rum Sodomy in the Lash. This is my favourite um, song by Shane McGowan. It's Dirty Old Town. It's, um, oh, I, I saw that it's on... A, um, great song. I saw that on uh, Rage, I think, the other day. I'm yeah. not surprised. It's a great song. Mm. But my love, by the guesswork's wall, dream the dream by the old canal. I kiss my girl by the factory wall, dirty old town, dirty 
clouds are drifting across the moon. Cats are prowling on their beams. Springs a girl from the streets at night. Shane McGowan song that I recall, Dirty Old Town. I think that was on Rage 2 on the weekend. I think it was that version, actually, Jeff. I'm, I'm pretty sure that'd be one they'd use to um, do a, a you know, testament to A memorial to one, yeah. Yep. This one is an interesting one. It says, let's be honest, smoking bans are pointless and we'll just re- revive a war on drugs by Matthew Lesh, uh, com, November 30. Medellin was meant to be a refuge for rural Colombians escaping political violence. That was until Pablo Escobar's cartel turned the city into the murder capital of the world. Mm. Quote, we had no idea that a shadow was creeping over us, reads a wall at a recent exhibition. The illicit drug trade has unleashed immense misery around the world, from poppy cultivation funding the Taliban in Afghanistan to knife crime on the streets of London. Well, we talk about this every week, don't we, the don't we? harm of prohibition. Yet uh, New England Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's only real legacy could be opening up a new front in the war on drugs. 
The government wants to ban anyone born after 2008 from purchasing tobacco products, including cigarettes, cigars, and even shisha. I'm not sure what shisha is, but... This policy initially followed in the footsteps of New Zealand, but in an embarrassing twist for Rishi Sunak, the incoming Kiwi government announced plans to reverse the ban last week. Malaysia has also abandoned similar proposals over concerns about age discrimination. Prohibitionist policies have a similar pattern. There's a righteous demand for a ban, followed by inevitable unintended consequences. That's so true. What a great line to sum Mm. things up. Unintended consequences. The most famous case, of course, is alcohol prohibition in the US. The ban fueled organised crime figures like Al Capone, led to the production of more dangerous and potent alcohol, engendered significant police corruption and resulted in the rule of law being undermined. In a shocking parallel to Partygate, President Warren G. Harding was caught drunk on whiskey during an Oval Office meeting in the middle of Prohibition. Oops. <laughs> Bhutan was the only country in, history, in modern history to try banning tobacco in 2004, with eerily familiar results. In, a, in an academic journal article, political scientist Michael Givell writes that Bhutan's ban led, quote, to smuggling and a thriving black market. A World Health Organization study in 2020 found that the number of 13 to 15-year-old tobacco users increased by 22% after this policy was introduced. The uptick in underage smoking may be because once criminals get going, there's no reason not to sell to children, unlike legitimate retailers who could lose their licence. Bataan's ban was lifted in 2021. Mm. It's a good comparison, isn't it? Ban tobacco becomes a prohibited... Exactly the same argument yeah. that we've been using for heroin and other illicit drugs, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Just followed the same track. It's the same trend. The article goes on, the UK's tobacco ban would initially lead to an absurd situation whereby a 19-year-old would be, a 19-year-old would be able to sell legally purchased cigarettes to their 18-year-old mates. Over time, however, the trade would be, ta- would be taken up by criminal gangs who could siphon billions of pounds from government coffers for their own pockets. The UK government is already losing billions yearly to the illicit trade. HR, uh, HMRC estimates that one in nine manufactured cigarettes is, uh, and one in three hand-rolled cigarettes are bought illegally. This will only grow as tobacco is phased out. The arguments for prohibition are incredibly flimsy. It's untrue that most smokers want to quit. Just one in five express a strong desire to cease. And even then, very few have an immediate intention. Smokers also more than compensate for the burden they place on the NHS by paying an immense amount of tobacco duty. Ten billion pounds annually, and darkly dying younger. With shockingly little public debate, the UK is on the cusp of taking away the freedom for adults to decide what enters their bodies. Tobacco prohibition risks having the usual miserable outcomes. "Quote: We suffer death as a tool of war," said one. Medellin resident about Escobar's antics, quote, at the hands of drug traffickers, assassins, militias, police, gangs and self-defence forces. Hardly a welcome future. No, no. Well, it's exactly the same argument that we've been using. And, Geoffrey, you raised that issue at the very beginning 
of the, as I recall, of this um, banning of tobacco products, product and vaping products, saying, aren't we doing exactly the same thing that we did with A, alcohol, and then B, marijuana, and then C, heroin. And, and the same thing keeps you know, happening. Yeah. And they still do the same thing. Let's ban tobacco products. Well, hang on a second, gang. Well, now what was that statement? Those, those who, um, what is it? Those who refuse to take note of the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. Yeah. So, and here we are, repeating the mistakes of the past by not taking any notice of the fact that prohibition didn't work when it came to alcohol. Why would it work when it comes to tobacco? And why would it work when it comes to vaping, which is the latest Indeed. thing? Indeed. Uh, and on. what have they done with vaping? They've now uh, contaminated it with drugs that people may or may not know that they have um, but need to be taken into drug checking uh, or uh, places, um, yeah, operations to make sure that they're either getting nicotine products or getting what they thought they were going to get, like cannabinoid products. It's not a great decision. Um, not No, not a good decision and It's just going to lead to mass import of real cheap and nasty stuff, which who knows what it'll do. Indeed. All right, this one comes from mirage.news.com, November 30. Opioid disorder hinders methadone treatment in cancer patients. A cancer diagnosis can greatly disrupt treatment with methadone, a medication used to treat drugs with opioid use disorder, according to a piece published recently in the New England Journal of Medicine by University of Pittsburgh researchers. Through the lens of a specific patient treated with methadone for many years and later diagnosed with head and neck cancer, the authors discuss how segregating methadone distribution from general medical care is problematic and emphasise the need to integrate opioid use disorder treatment and improve patient access. Before his cancer diagnosis, this patient was afforded a 28-day supply of take-home methadone, which he self-administered and, per clinic and federal regulations, returned to the clinic every 28 days for monitoring and refills. Unaware the patient was taking methadone, his oncologist prescribed oxycodone, another opioid, for cancer pain. When the opioid was detected in a routine urine test, the patient's take-home privileges for methadone were totally revoked, threatening his hard-earned recovery. In addition to chemotherapy and oncology appointments, the patient was then required to return to daily visits to his methadone clinic, a nearly impossible logistical challenge. Indeed. Uh, Quote, this patient is just one of many in this situation, said senior author Jessica Merlin, MD, PhD, Director of Pitts Challenges and Managing and Preventing Pain Clinical Research Centre, or CHAMP. Quote, we know how how to properly treat patients with opioid use disorder, but the current system makes it difficult to provide the care they need. Methadone is one of the most effective treatments for opioid use disorder, yet it it remains tightly controlled, with most patients required to visit a clinic daily to receive their dose. A cancer diagnosis only further complicates the matter. Jones and Merlin's er earlier research found that providers had both legal and safety concerns about prescribing methadone to people with cancer and opioid use disorder. 
The patient's story illustrates the impact that the proposed Modernising Opioid Treatment Act, or MOTA, could have on people suffering from opioid use disorder. The bill seeks to expand who can prescribe methadone and where it can be dispensed, eliminating the need for daily visits to a methadone clinic. Under current regulations, methadone is available in an uh, estimated 49% of US census tracts. Motor would expand access to an estimated 63% of census tracts. Quote, we are now more than 20 years into the opioid epidemic in the United States, said Merlin. Many patients who have been on methadone for years are developing serious illness, which only intensifies the need to improve access and better integrate treatment into the larger healthcare system. Yeah, I'll just make it like another prescription medication. Indeed. Look, the, the bottom line is that, you know, drug users like the rest of the community will develop chronic terminal diseases like cancer. And if you cannot treat the cancer disregarding the methadone or without having to complicate their methadone dosage because they are using opioid for other opioids for pain relief, um, then you're really making life a misery mm. for the person who is suffering from cancer. I would have thought so. It doesn't matter, you know, having an opioid use disorder, if you're going to court, give it a meth, you know, give it a medical name, then treat it all like a medical condition, including mm. the cancer. Um, and do not treat the person like um, a person with an opioid use disorder on one side, unfortunately, having cancer on the other side. It's like they are two people in one yeah. body. And unfortunately, that happens a lot. It does. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why the, the uh, clinic at Karma on Thursdays is so useful because having a doctor who doesn't judge you for using mm. opioids or for using any other kind of illicit drugs, having any other kind of illicit drug dependency, um, is really important. Most doc most people go to a general practitioner will not confess to illicit drug use well, or opioid use. To wear it, to be honest, because of the potential consequences. Well, yeah. because if they admit to it, they yeah, they will be prescribed a drug that has a um, um, an antagonist, an opioid antagonist in it. What's the point of having a pain-relieving drug with an opioid antagonist in it? If an Because what an antagonist does is it cancels out the pain-relieving um, qualities yep. of the drug you're being prescribed. And there's so many stories of um, drugs like buprenorphine came in. It was just bup. It was subutex and all of a sudden they added naloxone to it. It became yeah. suboxone. Uh, but no consultation yeah. with anyone. And a lot of people for whom subutex was a winner and yep. worked perfectly suddenly found you know, the new product was not Funny, wasn't doing the same doing thing. The same I wonder thing. why. Yeah. Because it had a drug in it that stopped it working. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Okay, I'll play, I'll play a quick song. Um, we've played this before, the old classic Cypress Hill, I Want to Get High, but um, we'll give it a go.
the classic Cypress Hill and uh, I want to get high. It's 11.42 listening to news from the Drug War Front on People Powered Radio to XFM 98.3 FM with Jeff and Marion. Should we feel sorry for you, Jeff, playing a song like that? Jeff wants to get high. <laughs> I want to get high. That guy's voice, you can tell who which band it is as soon as you open yeah. his mouth, can't you? It's just you can. So um, distinct. Look, this story is sort of a, a sad indictment of where society's headed, um, where things are all about, you know. The and bar- what you need to say in court to make your behaviour seem acceptable. Yeah. Isn't that the point? Yeah. I Don't you think? I think that's what they were up to. But, yeah. Uh, eventually the system saw through it. It's from the Canberra Times, December the 4th. Teenagers weren't, quote, scared little boys during their fatal robbery by Rex Martinich. Two teenagers accused of murder were not scared little boys, but were instead armed robbers who targeted the friend of a small-time drug dealer, a court has been told. The teenagers pleaded not guilty on Monday in Brisbane Supreme Court over the stabbing death of 15-year-old Angus Beaumont on March the 13th, 2020 at Redcliffe. Angus was stabbed after he and a 16-year-old companion were involved in a confrontation with the two accused, then both aged 14 on a footpath just after 8pm. The charges have been retried before a judge alone after the two teenagers successfully appealed their previous convictions in July. Crown Prosecutor Chris Cook told the court that Angus had left home soon after finishing school and within four and a half hours he was lying dead beside a major road in Redcliffe. The court was played police audio in which one of the accused teens claimed the pair acted in, quote, self-defence. Angus had a big effing knife. My mate defended me, the teen said. He told police they'd bought cannabis from Angus's companion but were given less than they'd paid for. We chased him. We didn't want to hurt him. We just wanted our stuff back, the teen said. I should have taken their own scales then, shouldn't I? Mr Cook said the audio also revealed the two teens needed drugs and knew Angus's companion had a larger supply in his bag. 
quote, they were not scared little boys. They were hanging around the skate park with knives looking for drugs. They were prepared to use them. I take it that's the knives, Mr Cook said. Uh, he described Angus's companion as a wannabe drug dealer who carried knives and kn a knuckle duster and who had walked to a skate park with Angus, another teenage boy and girl. The 16-year-old had sold the two accused teens a stick of cannabis weighing 1.5 grams for about $25. Quote, he was not a good drug dealer. He ended up showing the accused teens his drug stash. This was a fatal mistake, Mr Cook said. The 16-year-old was chased through the park by two accused teens before reaching the road where he was reunited with Angus. The court was shown CCTV footage of Angus being hit and collapsing soon after. Mr Cook said an autopsy had shown Angus died from a 137mm uh, wound that had punctured his chest wall and heart. Quote, Angus was a larger size, but they were not deterred. He was attacked two on one, and while he was distracted, he was stabbed in the heart, Mr Cook said. He said the teens should both be convicted of murder, one for attacking Angus with at least the intent to cause grievous bodily harm, and the other for having aided and encouraged the stabbing. The barristers for the two accused teens, Patrick McCafferty KC and Jacob Robson, provided their opening statements to a court in writing. The trial is due to run for another nine days before Justice Sean Cooper. What a sad story, really. That is a sad story and it, it is a bit pathetic and you'd have to be pretty naive to assume that just because kids are underage that they have no venom in their hearts, yeah? Yeah, well, it just seems that people are prepared to do serious violence for very little. For, um, for very little gain. And they were sold... For $25, I got 1.25 grams of um, a stick, rather, of <coughs> cannabis. That's not a bad price, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, they just weren't happy. You know, they just weren't having it. That's the point, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. And in fact, they knew that the guy had more dope on them, so they were prepared to do damage to get hold of it. Anyway. Well, we did the story about how 30 years after Escobar, how the cocaine trade has, trade has changed. Uh, yes, if you'd should, like. Should have time to finish it. There is a um, one that we'd like to... Tell the um, tell people about you're going to put on the website. Did you say? Oh yeah, look, there's a great um, new website called Insight Crime, capital I, uh, small N, capital S. So Insight Crime, and they cover they do research. I'm not sure whether they're funded, but research into the connection between organised drug cartels and nation states. And and the, the article that you've got there is a massive number of pages, but it's interesting in that it describes the uh, the uh, transactional model, if you like, of, is it Escobar or Colombian? His former hitman, number his, one hitman, has formed a sort of business. And how many people he killed and how he killed them. And, and he looks like um, a man with who, like just a 54-year-old who's just nicely sundown, but in fact he's a murderer. 
Well, he's definitely held in recently high regard in his local area. Certainly um, in Colombia, yeah. anyway, and has produced this model of the how private business of ha- um, that's right how to run, how to run a murder service, taking people to certain points where he did yes, terrible anyway, things. All it's right. already on a website, and yeah. you should have a look. Well, at well, it. well yeah, make sure it's on the website. Pablo Escobar and his Medellin cartel transformed the cocaine trade during their heyday in the 1980s. But the 30 years since the Kingpin's death have shown that the business remains one of the world's most dynamic criminal economies. Escobar was killed by a specially assigned police unit in 1993. His death marked the start of a new era in the, in the global drug trade. Over the next three decades, drug trafficking organisations, run from the top down by powerful high-profile capos, gave way to dispersed networks connected by, quote, invisible middlemen who tend to avoid the limelight. The cocaine business has also expanded. The US remains the world's major consumer of the drug, but huge new markets have sprung up in Europe and Asia, and evidently high-quality cocaine has arrived in Australia. Spurring the emergence of new trafficking networks to feed that demand. In response, the supply has also seen unstoppable growth. Cocaine production in Colombia and neighbouring Andean countries has reached historic highs in recent years, and criminal groups have even begun experimenting with growing crops outside their native region. Yeah, um, we seem to be getting large amounts of... Um very high quality cocaine in Australia these days, Indeed. which is most unusual. Yeah, um, finding that you know many of the drugs that the drug checking agency has been um, looking into have actually been contaminated with high quality cocaine. Okay, uh, so the fall of the cartels and the rise of quote the invisibles. In Escobar's time, much of the cocaine production and trafficking was controlled by cartels, led by larger-than-life figures. In the years following his death, these hierarchical organisations and big personalities have disappeared. Traffickers have learned that it's far more profitable to keep a low profile, leading to the rise of what insight crime has dubbed the invisibles. Among some of the most prolific of the invisibles to be unmasked are Guillermo uh, Leon Achevedo Giraldo, Giraldo, alias Memo Fantasma, and Luis Augustin Chacedo, Valandia, alias Don Lucho. At the same time, the cocaine market has come to be has come to be dominated by a looser, more fragmented networks that specialise in certain steps of the process. And uh, the uh, Gaitanistas, known as the Gaitanista Self Defence Forces of Colombia, Auto Defences Gaitanista de Colombia, AGC, the Ur- Urbaneros or the Gulf Clan and one of the main criminal groups in Colombia are a case in point. The AGC is the result of a criminal evolution that began with Medellin cartel um, and continued with the paramilitary, paramilitary United Self-Defence Forces of Colombia, Autodefenses Unidas de Colombia, or the AUC. Both organisations organisations failed to recover from the death of their leaders or their internal divisions. The AGC learned from these failures and from the beginning it was conceived as a network that has allowed, this has allowed the group 
to adapt to the deaths and captures of its main leaders without affecting its participation in the different nodes in the cocaine market. Well, it's obvious. You take out the head of a big organisation, yeah. there's going to be a whole lot of... That's right. There'd be a Up lot and of comers, ready to number two, get. three, four, and five in the chain of command, or all number twos will be arguing to be number one. And it can yeah? get pretty bloody. Uh, it goes on cocaine trade goes global. When Escobar's Medellin cartel was at the peak of its power, most of the profits from the cocaine trade came from the voracious appetite for the drug in the US. Though the US still accounts for a major share of global cocaine consumption, expanding European markets become increasingly important in recent years. The drug fetches high prices across the Atlantic and criminal groups in Latin America and the Caribbean have built trafficking relationships with a range of European partners, Italy's Indragata, Dutch Moroccan mafias, Albanian networks and others now maintain upstream trafficking relationships that increase their profits by bringing them closer to the product source. Cocaine produced in South America has also begun to flow in significant quantities through to new regions, and I think that's where we come in. Uh, and it goes on just lists the whole of regions. Cocaine prices in Australia and New Zealand are amongst the highest in the world. Large recent seizures of the drug in Asian major transportation hubs like Hong Kong suggest traffickers are seeking to meet that demand. So it's spreading mm. further, further and wider and more expensive. It certainly <laughs> is. So then production increases and expands. Over the past 30 years, coca cultivation has continued to expand, increasing the potential production of cocaine to record highs. Despite numerous initiatives over the last three decades, including forced eradication, aerial fumigation and crop substitution programs, Colombia remains the world's main producer of cocaine. Since 1999, when the government began to measure coca crops in the country, the number of hectares has continued to rise, reaching a historic 230,000 hectares in 2022. Increased um, areas of coca cultivation coupled with advances in technology that generate higher crop yields with more sophisticated methods of refining coca base into cocaine has led to steady growth of the country's potential cocaine production since 2013, according to the United Nations figures. In 2022, the country's production potential re reached 1,738 tonnes per year, the highest in history. And there is a globe, I mean, sorry, a... a um, Graph. A graph, a globe, um, which describes the cultivation of cocaine in Colombia, uh, Peru and Bolivia and between 1992 <laughs> and 2022. And it, yeah, so it's gone up everywhere. It's gone up in uh, Bolivia, but it's gone up massively. It's interesting because it was high in... Um, 1999, but in 2022, it was twice as high, whereas the rise from Colombia, um, sorry, Peru and Bolivia have not gone up nearly as much. 
Just a steady increase. Yeah, just But a it just slow goes increase. to show you're not going to um, end prohibition mm. by taking out Mr. Big. You know. Cocaine production has also expanded in other countries. In Peru, where coca crops also reached record high of 95,008 hectares in 2022, crops are moving away from consolidated production enclaves into new areas along the country, country's borders like indigenous territories and protected areas. And coca cultivation has spread to countries that were previously not producers like Honduras, Guatemala and Venezuela. And that's one of the other side effects. Is it that's right. It moves into new encourage, brings in places. New, um, new places, yeah. you know, novel areas for cultivation. And the impact on indigenous peoples and environmental you know, places can be very negative. Well, and the amount of money that can be made out of cocaine is monumental mm. and the United States is responsible for the poverty in those countries yep. and therefore for the, I would think, it seems obvious to me, therefore they're responsible for the increase in coca, coca cultivation. I would say so. All right, that takes us out for another week. I hope you found some of the stories uh, interesting. Um, please let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover. We'll I forgot to say shout-out to Mary and Linda. I'm sorry, my darlings. I meant to say it at the beginning of the show, and I didn't, so there we go. All right, well, we'll leave you a bit of uh, Golden Brown, and we're back next week. See ya. Bye for now. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away 